welcome back to the Postural uh, Restoration Podcast. And Happy New Year to all our uh, listeners and guests. You know, it's, it's a time to reflect on the year prior. And I, uh, I have a guest on today that I, I'm so excited to start a new year with. And really, um, you know, our guest today, Susan Henning out of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, Susan, you allow uh, this institute to reflect, and we we both just got done kind of reflecting on that and on your story before we sat down here. Again, you have such a rich history, not only in physical therapy, scoliosis, curvatures, um, but Susan, things like sensory awareness and flow and, you know, just you name it, and I'm sure at some point in your career, you have either experienced it, tried to treat it, or sought it out, you know, to learn more. And for everyone listening, we just got done saying, you know, Susan, Susan has a, a long history of, of clinical care, and we're going to do our best to get through that history, Susan, here in the next hour or so. And it, and it may be a challenge, but again, Susan, welcome to uh, the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today, and I very much want the listeners to understand what uh, meaningful uh, guest you are for us today, so thank you. Um, Susan, if you don't mind, we're going to jump right into some of your brief history, you know, as we mentioned, uh, of just physical therapy in general, and if you can think back to the years of, of your early education and schooling, just briefly again, who, who were some of the people in your life, whether it was parents or friends, um, other people you have ex had experienced physical therapy or the field of this type of healthcare medicine? What, what made you passionate about helping others through physical therapy, through education, through, through this clinical setting that that you're now in, uh, what, what made you really passionate about this field, Susan? Well, first I wanna thank you, RJ, for um, offering this interview. I'm as honored, I, I'm honored that you are thinking of me in the ways that you are, so thank you. Um, I would say that the, the, the early influence that brought me to physical therapy was actually sensory awareness. And I, um, I, I, I encountered sensory awareness when I was uh, a student at Clark University in fine arts. And a person, uh, a friend of mine introduced me to the work of Charlotte Selver and encouraged me really strongly to go study with her. And I thought, well, why not? And I did, I went and I worked with Charlotte Selver who's, who called her work sensory awareness. And this was in 1970, 71. Um, and it, it totally changed. It utterly changed every aspect of my life from there on. So that was a very foundational experience. Um, I studied with her for a long time on and off until uh, she died in the 19, in 2004. And um, and it it's influenced really everything that I've done since then. 
her work was pure sensation. It wasn't really physical therapy, but it was really grounding in oneself. It was self-awareness and awareness of the forces in the, in the space that we live in. So as many years later, I, I was actually hit by a car and, and I, I ended up with a fracture of my left tibia that was just a hairline fracture. So it was casted. But in the pro and I had one session of physical therapy as a result of that accident, and that was to learn how to use crutches. But in the process of recuperating from that, I thought physical therapy sounds like uh, the kind of a practice that people are very vulnerable because they've been hurt and they're a little bit more open to things that they might not be open to otherwise. What a great time to introduce uh, some element of sensory awareness into their lives to enrich their lives. So really without knowing anything about physical therapy and that one experience, I decided I was going to study physical therapy. And I was uh, already, uh, I had left fine arts and I had been doing other things. Um, and I went back to school 10 years out to study physical therapy. I studied at NYU and I really feel like most of what I learned, I learned after I graduated from NYU. What an awesome way to start your story with sensory integration and awareness. And um, it's why we love you and, and it's why who you are, who, you know, you are who you are. Um, but when you first were learning about sensory awareness through movement and dance and whatever it may have been, and even when you got into talking about schooling at NYU and really feeling like you learned more after that schooling, you know, what, at what point, as you said, it, it may have been after you had received your degree in physical therapy, but at what point did you realize what you knew about sensory awareness, what you had studied about sensory awareness or physical therapy? You know, when did you realize that there was more to it than just what you were learning in school? And a lot of that may have been because of your start to things. You know, you had, you had that mindset of awareness, if you will. But what about that? that foundation that you had, sensory awareness, you know, what caused you to, after schooling, continue to search or continue to have that motivation to learn more? And how did you realize, or what was that, you know, realization that, you know, I, I didn't learn this in school. You know, I, I should, I wish I would have got this in school or why didn't I get this in school? Do you remember having any of those thoughts or, or what steered your path after schooling? So I do, I do remember clearly realizing as I was going through physical therapy school and entering into clinical practice, uh, clinical affiliations, and then uh, finding, finding work that physical therapy in the mainstream idea of it was 
very different than what I had imagined it might be. And um, I did, I did love working with people and interacting with people and making people feel better. Although I sometimes doubted that I was actually making them or really make really changing their lives, transforming their lives, which was an aspiration. I I kept in the circle of sensory awareness with Charlotte Silver for many years, going back and forth and studying with her. It was in one of her workshops that I met my husband and and it was uh, there in California. So I, that happened in California. And it was also in California that my son was born. Um, but when he got to be, oh, about two years old, we thought we needed to be around family. And we moved to North Carolina, where my parents had just relocated. And and I started, I, I actually first tried to start a, a practice in just sensory awareness, but there was zero interest anywhere in sensory awareness. Um, nobody was interested. They thought, this is crazy. So I, I got a job in a SNF facility. And uh, when, when things changed, I think it was a 1997 Budget Act changed how SNF uh, sniff facilities were able to work. I found uh, a private practice by a woman named Krista Clark. Krista Clark was Maitland certified, and she was giving year-long courses um, in Maitland. And I thought, well, maybe this is an avenue where I could be have more of an influence on people. So I I signed up with that course. Actually, it was at the at this sniff facility that I met Sangini Renee, and we formed a little practice together for a while. And she and I both went to study with uh, Krista. And, and it was also there that we met Kindy Boyle and G. Masse. So it was a real collection of some of the some of the practitioners in this area who were seriously interested in furthering their education. And I eventually joined Krista Clark. So advanced physical therapy was started by Krista. I bought that practice in 2002 from her. And it was initially a holistic health center. In other words, she was very interested in integrative medicine. But I think a different. she was really thinking more of alternative medicines rather than uh, looking at uh, at other health professional, other mainstream health professionals. Anyway, to go back to um, that that course, we we had a twelve month study group, and we met once a month, and we all spent a weekend together studying Maitland. And initially, Maitland was my way of working with people. Um, and I could do my own sensing while I was working with them, and I felt like that could be transmitted to them. And it was during that, uh, shortly after that course, that Kindy, in fact, it was during the middle of that course that Kindy Boyle went to a course on protonics where she was learned about hamstrings. 
And she told us all in the Maitland course about her experience with this extraordinary guy and his extraordinary ideas. Um, and it was all about hamstrings. Now, we were all interested in joints. We weren't interested in muscles. So it kind of fell on deaf ears initially. But Kindy brought Ron to Elon. And because we were, I was a practitioner and I had a practice in, uh, in North Carolina, they invited the area clinicians to come to the courses that they were offering to their students. And Ron, Ron was offering myokinematic, an yeah, introduction to myokinematics. At the, at the time, Susan, um, a lot of people have this same exposure. Well, not a lot of people, but, but people that were introduced to PRI during the same time frame around 2002, 2003, early 2000s. Um, at the time when the Institute was, was founded, uh, that myokin course was really a myokin postural combination. So, you know, back then the respiration course that we have today and the postural respiration and the myokinematic restoration were kind of a, a combined myokinematic restoration course before they branched off into two different courses. And again, you know, so many other individuals um, have the same introduction through, you know, yours, yours in one way or another leads back to protonics and, and through kindy. But, you know, it, it's just so fascinating to hear different routes of people getting uh, exposed. And so, Susan, I want to get back to you. Um, walk us through a little bit about what you remember about that first myokinematic course uh, that you attended at Elon. Did it change? You know, you mentioned having a joint mechanic relationship type of mindset. Did it immediately shift your mindset or was it a slow kind of, you know, it, it piqued your interest, but you kind of slowly learned more. Walk us through how you felt at that first, or, you know, either before or after that first course. It's a little hard to remember back to the details of it. I do know that I was pretty mesmerized by Ron at that time. And I remember that one of the concepts that really, really began to be huge for me was asymmetry. At first, when he was talking about asymmetry, I was thinking, you know, that's a negative. That's a negative. Why we're all stuck in this asymmetrical pattern. And it took a while, but for me to start realizing that Amy's asymmetry was it was a positive, actually. It was something that facilitated motion. It was an underlying gift to us humans. And I think just the way that Ron formulated the way that he was presenting was so holistic. And it was uh, so, yeah, I guess holistic is the best word. He wasn't looking at a joint. He was looking at a person. He was looking at biomechanics. He was looking at integration, even then, for me, even then. And that was 
immediately, immediately, I kind of fell in love with this way of looking at things. And I took every course I could from that point on. Um, and it, it was a lot of challenge for me to, you know, you have to give up everything that you had. I've been practicing for 20 years. Um, I had to kind of give up all of my techniques that had worked for me and take on this world of newness and difference. But I'll tell you, there was also in what Ron, how Ron presented, I had the feeling that he, that his was the closest work to anybody in terms of sensory awareness. Like I just felt that that was, even if it wasn't stated in those words, that this uh, awareness of oneself and one's movement and beginning to be um, more tuned in to movement patterns was, I hadn't encountered that anywhere. And that wasn't a real hook for me at that time. And, you know, as we started off this conversation, sensory integration was so much of who you are and who you were. In some regards, I feel like Susan, you know, you, you mentioned you had 20 years behind you clinically before being introduced to this world. Um, in some regards, Susan, I feel like it may have been, you know, more of a cohesive type of a, a mindset for you to to get in to get into the PRI rabbit hole, as people call it, because of that background that you had, and because of all the sensory awareness and the work that you had been doing with Charlotte, we quite frankly still have yet to find too many other individuals that have organizations that look at sensation and awareness the way that you do and the way that we do and the way that Charlotte may have still to this day, there's not a lot of people that exist focusing on that, but for Mm -hmm. you to have that background and then be introduced to PRI really seems to have, you know, exponentially increased your capacity to fit so nicely into this model of holistic care. And so um, it's very easy to see why you are who you are today and why you are involved with PRI and, and in so many ways that we'll get into, but it just seems so natural with you, Susan. So such a natural fit for you to move on from that foundation of your years with Charlotte and sensorium and, you know, that type of, of mindset to then find PRI is really um, not only a gift for us, but must have been a gift for you in some ways at that time. Because sensation had been such an important part of my own personal transformation, um, and I was interested in finding a way for others to be, to experience some degree of self-transformation, pasta restoration was really, I don't have words for how wonderful that discovery was for me and how meaningful it was for me. It then changed the trajectory of my practice, 
and um, formed was the beginning of the formation of where we are today at advanced physical therapy and yeah. this sclerosis component. Well, it, it's such a blessing to us, Susan, as well. And, you know, you mentioned from that point on wanting to ingrain yourself in any course that became available. It's always kind of a, a fun, reminiscent um, discussion <laughs> to mention that at the time, there really was only, you know, one or two courses available when you got introduced, you know, your introduction to the Institute was only a few years after the foundation of the Institute. Um, so those early years of protonics leading to myokinematics, leading to respiration type activity, leading to the pelvis, leading to impingement, you know, everything that we see today back then was just a, just starting to build. Um, so someone like you, Susan, has a mindset of seeing that over the years and being a part of it as it, as it was really happening, you know, real time, so to speak, as we have evolved, your career really was almost um, simultaneously evolving as far as, you know, you look at timelines and clinically, you know, your practice was really kind of evolving at the same time. But if I could ask you, if you remember the first time, so, so outside of Elon University and that first interaction with Kindy and maybe Jean was there. Um, Sangini, yeah. Kim Kaiser. Mm -hmm. So after that first exposure to this thinking, how did you stay like beyond, beyond just going to the next course, did those people stay relevant in your life prior to being the same cohort of PRCs and PRTs together through this institute? Did you have kind of a community with some of those individuals? You, you know, talk, talk to us a little bit about who some of those people were in your life at that time, because, well, you mentioned Charlotte, you still were learning from Charlotte throughout your career. But who were some of the people that were closest to you at the start of your PRI journey that were kind of along that same path? You know, whether it was Sangini or Kindy or Jean. Joe Belding. Joe Belding. Joe Belding was also definitely part of that early group. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I, I just have this memory of um, beginning to work with postural restoration techniques and realizing how little I knew, how little I understood, but just mesmerized and really wanting to apply what I could to the people I was working with. And uh, I remember asking Ron after one of the courses that I had been to, like, is it okay if I tell people that this is postural restoration? Is it okay if I put down postural restoration in you know, my announcements of what I do, you really need to have a certification program. I think he was thinking about it at the same time as well. But, you know, um, I just remember feeling like that was really necessary that if, if, as I was beginning to learn more and there was so much that I didn't know, and I was 
calling what I was doing postural restoration. Was that okay? <laughs> um, and he said, yes. And so a group of us, absolutely, the people in the triangle area that I'm mentioning, um, and I, I think I have most of the group there, that original group, I think it was Sangini and Kindi. Joe was part of that totally. He was at my clinic at that time. And he was as excited and as involved as anybody else. Um, and Kim Kaiser, I, I think that was like a, the, the, that's who I remember right now. And we, we started studying together. We would, we would get together and have little um, study groups and we were preparing for a certification and we would all meet together and we would say, well, what, what do you understand about this? What do you understand about that? And we're really trying to figure out some concepts that were just kind of beyond us at that point. Um, but it was a very, even though we don't didn't all work in the same clinic, we were very connected because of our interest in postural restoration and because postural restoration was so different than anything else that was out there. So it was a, a it was a beautiful grounding. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's 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 kind of really um, a, a little bit sentimental isn't the right word, Susan, but it's a little bit uh, it, it, to have that experience um, with a group of people who previously you really didn't know, you know, you, you meet people and you get together around a concept. Let's say it was that Elon University, you know, that first course that you were at or protonics or whatever concept you want to talk about. But it's amazing, Susan, over the last 20 years, really what you just mentioned was, was probably close to 20 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. To this day, you know, we, we have people go through that credentialing process that are that are at that exact same moment in time in their careers that you were at 20 years ago with those people around you, such as Joe and and uh, Kim and Sangini. And so the what I'm getting at, Susan, is time time goes on and, and time changes things. But what hasn't changed 20 years later is the power of PRI to not only help clin your clinical integration of sense and grounding and, and whatever PRI concept you want to throw out there, but the, the real power of PRI and, and really why I am who I am and why I love being in the position I am every day is the power of the people that are involved with PRI, Susan. And I don't say that lightly because, you know, that's why I get up in the morning and that's why I, I come here every day is to be a part of, of the people and the community. Mm -hmm. um, it's really such a gift. And when you think about those people you listed off, Susan, you know, every one of those people you could call up today and it's, it's no different than, than those early days that you really heartfully spent time with them. And that's the real cool thing about PRI is not only all the cool things that it allows us to do clinically and to help help patients and athletes and students and kids and grandparents, but 
the power that it has to bring people together. I know you've seen it over the past 20 years, and I know you continue to see it like we do. Um, but it really has a, it really is something, the word I was looking for earlier is kind of transcendent. It's a little bit bigger than you and I. It's a little mm -hmm. bit bigger than any one of us individually, because there's, there's that community aspect to what we're talking about. These small groups of people that get together about an idea or a, a challenging concept or something that's new, novel, and then all of a sudden, here you are 20 years later, and you can look back on your on those early years and say, you know, that that was it. That was why I'm here. So, um, so cool. And I, I, I really you appreciate it. You know, RJ, I, to say, I just wanted to say also, you know, another thing that was very attractive about, about the circle of postal restoration at that time and, and still was the sense of family. There really was a sense that the people who were interested in this um, revolutionary concept, this very revolutionary way of looking at humans, um, th there was a sense of, of family and caring. And a lot of that I, I would attribute also to Ron because he very much welcomed people and embraced, embraced people. And I, I witnessed courses early in, the, in, in those early years where um, some of the participants were challenging him and, and you know, putting down the things that he was saying. It was painful to see that. But the group of people that gathered around postural restoration really had a, a family quality. Janie was there. Bobby was just starting at that first 2004 and integration, which was the coming together of myokin and postural respiration, postural restoration at that time. Yeah. That's, um, that's really, you know, one of the, the, the reasons why I think we are at a point in the Institute where we are. And Susan, you've been around you know, longer than I have, and you've seen things come and go as far as, uh, you know, trendy, mm -hmm. you, know, manip you know, utilization of, of different things that come and go, whether it be manual or non-manual or, you know, fascial, whatever it may be. It seems like a lot of these uh, theories get the word release attached to them. So whatever type of release or theory that is out there, they're they're not always centered around that same family orientation it kind of brings me to to a topic that i wanted to cover today and that is families uh, anatomy families and how you and and joe who you mentioned got involved with this integration course this advanced integration four-day um coming together, as you said, of all of the primary course concepts. And when you talk about family and PRI, not only is it part of the community around us and those early, the people that really were part of your PRI family when you started out, who are here st still today, but Susan, if we could kind of transition into, into this advanced integration course and how you eventually 
became involved with that, I think, you know, our conversation about families pairs so nicely to how we look at uh, anatomical families, musculature, and uh, the coloring that we sometimes get laughed at for. Um, but walk us through a little bit about, you know, your involvement in that integration course that you brought up, how you and, and initially, I, I think Joe Belding was a big part of that. Uh, I know that Joe Belding was a big part of the anatomy uh, families as we group those together. But if, if we could get your thoughts on, you know, how that kind of came about, how you got more involved with that course. And then I think, you know, that'll introduce kind of where you are today and how you look at curvatures of the spine as we get into your involvement with advanced integration and, and specifically day four of advanced integration. So when I went to the course in 2000, I think it was 2004, that was the first putting together of a myokin and a postural restoration. And I, I have the impression that that Ron was talking about, this is the first time he could talk about concepts that he was not able to talk about before because he had both, uh, he had four days to do that. I think, I think it was four days. And I think it was also the first time that he spoke about scoliosis. And that made an impression on me at that first advanced integration. It wasn't called advanced integration yet. I think in 2005, it started to be called advanced integration. I'm not 100% sure. So I went back again in 2005, and there was just so much material that was so new and felt so important. And a lot of it just went right over my head. I can remember sitting there and there were, there were periods that I could really understand what was being said. And then a lot of periods where it just kind of went right by me. And I knew that I needed to keep coming back to be able to start getting a better understanding of these concepts. So I came every year to advanced integration. For me, it was always different because Ron had grown from that year of working and his presentation, although it was the same manual material, was always different and also I was growing. So as I was growing and I was being able to absorb more, I was um, be able to follow more. And so there were fewer, fewer of those episodes of, oh, just went by and I have no idea what he's talking about. I, I could follow it a lot, a lot better. And um, I, I really encouraged um, the Institute to be taping these courses because they were each one so unique and each one seemed so important and so unique, which they finally started to do, much to my gratitude. Anyway, I, I just kept coming back because it seemed to me that December is a time of review and looking, not only looking back, but taking taking the learning from the year 
and looking at it and beginning to project it forward to the next year. So I came every year. Um, and because scoliosis became a part of the advanced integration course, um, I, I started to get quite interested in that. There were a couple of reasons why. I remember in my past, before postural restoration, having encounters with a friend, a coworker, um, who had scoliosis and said, you know, do you have any ideas of how I can work with this? Um, and I had no idea. What I had learned in school was, you know, you get into prayer position and side bend. I had no idea. And the way that Ron was uh, presenting it was, again, this holistic perspective that was looking at a, a whole person and patterning that was um, very compelling. And then I had a few, a couple of young girls come to our clinic. And um, I remember one of these, one of these girls, she was 14 years old. And, I, and she came to me, she had like a 40 degree curve. And I, I knew that we had, um, we had talked about scoliosis. I felt so much pressure to be, she had her whole life in front of her and she was coming to me to try and solve this issue. And uh, she was a, a patient that I brought to Lincoln I, and enlisted Ron's help. I enlisted Ron's help with a bunch of young patients uh, for a period of time. So my interest in scoliosis kind of grew based on these few people who came who had scoliosis and who didn't 100% fit the, they had the same pattern, but they had structural changes that made it more challenging for them to work with some of the activities. I will say, however, that they did quite well with postural restoration activities, um, even at that time. This girl with a 40 degree curve was able to modify her curve to down to 29 degrees with postural restoration between Ron and me. I think he had her do some integrate um, uh, interdisciplinary work as well, which I had no idea of at the time. Anyway, at some point, um, my German husband noticed uh, something about Schroth. People were calling our clinic and saying, do you do Schroth therapy? Um, and I was saying, we don't do that, but we do work with people who have scoliosis. But my German husband said, you know, you ought, to, you ought to look into Schroth because that's what people are looking for. And you could maybe integrate those two together and, and say yes to some of those people who are looking for Schroth, which is exactly what I ended up doing. Well, and, and I hope to get a little bit more into that, Susan, um, maybe in, a, in, just a, in a, just a minute when we start talking about some of your more current uh, Schroth-based well, Schroth integration with PRI type activity that now you're melding together. And you have been doing that for, you know, the past 10, however many years that you've been 
bridging the gap between your stroke training and PRI. Um, but I, I just want to kind of keep us on this advanced conversation for just a second. You know, when, when we, when you mentioned kind of how your level of interest in scoliosis was a reflection of scoliosis being presented to you at that integration course. Um, at that point in time, Susan, were you, were you already treating a, a large number of individuals with curvatures or was that, or was your practice, you know, with scoliosis and, and the treatment of curvatures, did that grow simultaneously as you got more interested in uh, Shroth and, you know, even PRI, did, did the evolution of what today is advanced physical therapy in Chapel Hill and kind of, you know, what we like to think of as, a, as really a scoliosis center or um, kind mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the PRI scoliosis center of the country anyways, did, did your um, interest in scoliosis kind of reflect the, the interest and growth of PRI and that advanced integration course? And then briefly mention kind of how you, you got involved with, with Shroth and how you started taking some of their, their um, courses and pairing the two together. Yeah. So I was not seeing a lot of patients specifically with scoliosis, but anybody who in the physical therapy world will realize that many people that come in have some degree of scoliosis, whether it's been diagnosed or treated differently. So um, there was a smattering of patients who had diagnosed scoliosis. Um, but yeah, at that time. So I, uh, I decided that I would take this course in the Barcelona Schroth methodology that we had found online, which had only come to the United States. You know, the Schroth method has been in Europe since the 1920s and has been recognized by the medical community in Europe since the 1960s, 70s, but only came to the United States through, um, I think Beth Jansen, our teacher, uh, was, the, was one of the key people who brought the Schroth methodology to the United States in to, between 2000, I think it was on 2005, maybe a little bit before that. So there was no there was no knowledge of that methodology in the United States at all prior that prior to that, and um, it was in 2013 that I signed up. Jean and I signed up to try that training, um, and we went to a little clinic, a scoliosis rehab of Beth Jansen in. Uh, in Wisconsin, and she had a 10-day course, and they looked at um, a lot of the a lot of the research that has been going on around scoliosis, and it was it was not 
a lot of the concepts were similar to postural restoration, but they were only in the context of scoliosis. So whereas scoliosis is in the context of human function, the Schroth methodology was, this version of it was looking at scoliosis uh, as its own unique situation. Although I think that Katharina Schroth and Krista Schroth, the originators of that methodology, um, had a much broader perspective. And I was I was struck by, by the triplanar aspect of the Schroth methodology. In other words, respiration. Uh, well, three. Th- it was it was very strong in recognizing three planes of motion and th- di- uh, changes in three planes of motion. Respiration was a huge component, uh, very important. And um, so those were those were and and neurological uh, you know self image component was also present. So I found a lot of uh, oh I found a lot of similarities. Although I f- I felt that postural restoration had a much wider purview, is included much more. But there was a lot of overlap. The, the, the uh, positive component of this course was that it was specifically about scoliosis. So we really looked at x-rays and we looked at um, the, the origin, what, what causes scoliosis and how it progresses and in things that we hadn't really looked at in postural restoration in, in that way at least in advanced integration. Ron may, I'm sure Ron was aware of a lot of that anyway. And it was after having been through that program and being able to see scoliosis uh, in, in a fuller perspective on its own that we could start letting people know that we, we had the Schroth training and we could start getting more and more people who have the diagnosis of scoliosis so that we could start applying our knowledge to them. And I would say that initially, I, I know that I used a lot of the Schroth methodology, uh, treatment methodology for those patients mixed with postural restoration. But over time, it felt like postural restoration uh, addressed things more, a little more holistically, with a little more integration with, um, and so I began moving more and more toward, I would say the majority of treatment techniques that we use in the clinic are at least 80, 20, 80 postural restoration to 20% Schroth, if that. I hope that answered your question. It did. It did. And it was a good introduction, Susan, to, again, you know, not just taking your thought processing and your schooling and at this point, all these educational opportunities, whether it be through PRI or through uh, Schroth or through, again, I think you still had some, some sensory type education that you were taking. Um, 
it kind of leads us into, you know, your practice and your clinical uh, use of all of this information that you have gathered over your career. And if you don't mind, I, I'd like to kind of get into that setting, if you will, um, of your clinical day-to-day -day life at advanced physical therapy. Susan, you know, I, I think you can walk us through a little bit more, but if I just share with the listeners, you know, you are uh, really very fortunate to have a team around you, like we, we mentioned earlier when we started, um, that, you know, not only is it a, a PRI center of, of care, not only are, are your clinical staff all, you know, PRI certified and, and really have passion for the same areas of interest that you do, but I think each of you, Susan, and, and that, whether that be Jean, uh, Lisa, um, Joe, Molly, whatever you could say about each of you, you each have your own unique backgrounds and interests and, and ways that you incorporate PRI clinically. And it's, it's why you, your clinic is what it is. But if you think back before you had all of that inner, you know, integration from uh, your inner circle, the people around you at your clinic that you've created, before you had all of that support, you know, from your colleagues, what was it like for you to slowly but surely start integrating these techniques with individuals that were, that were diagnosed, you know, as being scoliotic past the normal curvature? Again, I, I want to just capitalize on something that you said earlier. I've heard Ron say it numerous times. I'm sure you have you've heard it as many times as I have, but you mentioned you mentioned that we all have curvature of the spine. You know, we have kind there's a little bit of lordotic curve, um, whether that becomes kyphosis or what we do with our curves and how we manage our curves and you know the degree to where they go in life is kind of up to us and how we manage them. Um, so scoliosis is not something that we think of, you know, you mentioned earlier in the episode, Susan, how initially you were thinking about asymmetry as a bad thing. You know, asymmetry is not a bad thing to us at the Institute. Similarly, scoliosis is not a diagnosis that deserves negative uh, thoughts from the patient, from the clinician. And I know, and I know that's not who any of you are. It's not who we are. We don't look at diagnoses. Um, but for those individuals who come in your door with a diagnosis of scoliosis, whether it be idiopathic or not, what were some of the very first ways that you just incorporated position? or airflow, whether it be through using balloons or, um, again, positioning them through PRI activities, if you don't mind just quickly kind of giving your thoughts on how you as a clinician take PRI techniques, activities, and concepts and um, educating your clients 
your patients, these young, oftentimes young individuals at that really vulnerable state in life, how do you take something like PRI, uh, like breathing, like asymmetry, and how do you meet them where they are with their bodies going through these changes and these torques and tension and new, new ways that, you know, literally their spine is, is compressing or, you know, twisting on itself. How do you educate them? And then what, what are some of your most powerful ways that you help manage that curvature through the use of those techniques? Well, that's a big question. That's one of the things that we that we've been working, that we're presenting at uh, Advanced Integration. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really helpful for anybody who comes in with a diagnosis of scoliosis and comes in for treatment of that uh, is very, very helped initially by understanding what's happening to them. Like, they don't see their spine. Most of the time they don't feel, they don't, they don't feel the changes, especially young people often don't feel the changes. Sometimes there's pain, but not always. And so to be able to um, help people who have uh, spinal exaggerated spinal curvature um, begin to understand what is happening in themselves and to begin to be able to find, from my perspective, markers of how they can sense that um, is, I think, a huge initial step for getting buy-in for treatment. And so, you know, we we use, you know, pelvises and rib cages and skeletons to look at that. We look at, at x-rays because that gives insight. It gives a, 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 a visual intellectual framework to why we're going to be doing these strange, unusual techniques, why we're going to be asking people to send air in different places, why we're going to be putting them in positions that don't feel good, certainly are not, um, they feel counterintuitive. Uh, so I think that first educational component is really important. And even for young people is really important for them to buy in and be willing to, to uh, work at work pretty intensively at these activities. And then, you know, we, we actually have people have young people sign a piece of paper that says, you know, this is about making you feel better, making you more self-aware. It requires you to to want to do this and to be willing to do this. And we have them read this little, and we, we include that in the advanced integration, that, that little signature by the, the young person themselves so that they have a sense that this is important for them and they need to 
agree to it themselves for it to be helpful to them. And then I think uh, a lot for me, a lot is introducing people to having bodies. People, many, many of us don't have a sense of being a body and don't have any sense of what the life of our body is. And to begin to be able to feel feel things, to begin to be able to recognize airflow inside oneself, to begin to be able to have the ability to modify positions and airflow uh, is very empowering. And I think we try to really empower the people that we work with to feel that they have the ability to to work within themselves to modify what other people might think of as a fixed condition. So um, I'm not sure if that's exactly what you were asking about. Well, I think it's, it gives us light, Susan, to who you are and how you practice Uh, so much of your past that we talked briefly on relating to sense of oneself or sense of one's body or grounding or respirate airflow pressure management and, and pressure changing. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why when I think of the word scoliosis, and I think it's safe to say when, when anyone from PRI thinks of scoliosis, we truly do not think of scoliosis as being something that is, you know, a diagnosis that is negative or, or bad because of what you're saying. There really is no difference between someone who has an exaggerated curve and someone who has a normal level of curvature. The only difference, which maybe you have some thoughts on, would be, you know, what are they doing in life that leads to further curvature? And I guess that would be my next question for you, Susan, is, you know, as you mentioned, these, these young individuals who are literally, you're trying to re-educate them about the, their own selves and self-actualization and the power of, of whatever it may be, respiration or, you know, grounding, everything we just mentioned. When you re-educate these individuals, again, adolescents, teenagers, young adults, maybe they're old, old adults, but I know a lot of the individuals you see are tend to be of that adolescent age group. But Susan, how do you, how do you get the point across to them that the degree of curvature that they may encounter or that the trajectory that their body is taking them down, how do you, um, make it known to them that, you know, this is manageable and we can manage this and we can change this and we can actually regress this through these activities. Do you find that your patients, you know, really become more hopeful when you have that conversation with them? Uh, Because again, you know, you, you know more of the current interventions than I do. Sometimes every year there's 
bits and pieces of your guys's uh, advanced integration talk that are new because there's new, you know, there's new braces coming out or a bracing company changed. And now we like this one better than the old one. Um, but when you look at the other innervation, intervention models out there for curvature of the spine, unfortunately, a lot of it is invasive or extra bracing, for example, a lot of these adolescents don't want to go to school every day with a hard, clumsy, big brace around their thorax. You have interventions that literally immobilize your spine from even moving. But when you think about these young adolescents coming in to see you, you know, is it typically well-received when you, when you offer them this new route or this new avenue of management or how do you have that conversation with them about taking control of their own curvature, if you will, or kind of being this, being the, the captain of their own ship through, through PRI that is so different from the other options relating to scoliosis management? Well, I, I want to first go back to um, when when a when an idiopathic scoliosis, which uh, is something that usually shows up during rapid growth periods, that's actually for the person who's experiencing that, the young person. You know, it's a, it's at a time of their life when their body is changing. They're beginning to psychologically move into very different spaces. It's it for some of them, it is very traumatic. And for some, it's not as traumatic. And sometimes that depends on the degree of curvature. You know, they're very different people with very different responses. And I will say that um, home program activities are, are not for everybody but they are for anybody who's willing to give it a try and family support for these young people, I think is a really important uh, component that their family supports them and um, encourages them. Sometimes many, many, depending on the, the degree of, of curvature, uh, bracing is definitely indicated to be a, uh, in conjunction with therapeutic activities, um, because you know none of us can be aware of our position and posture twenty four hours of the day. So uh, bracing is is a an adjunct that can be for uh, many people and for different reasons can be very helpful uh, as a training device. It's it, we try to emphasize that it can be a training device. In other words, these braces that help people uh, feel where they could expand or where they could contract. Um, and also for people who, you know, over a course of a day get tired and can't hold positions um, on their own through hours and hours of classes. So, um, yeah, it's it's really a very individual, very individual, and one has to get a sense of 
what this person is open to. Another thing is, so Lisa is our pediatric therapist and she works with very young kids and young kids. Um, Molly uh, works with, you know, teenagers. Heather is starting to work with teenagers. I've worked with teenagers um, and, and older people. All three of us work with older people as well. And Jean works a lot with uh, an older population often that may or may not be idiopathic. That may be a breakdown as they get older from poor use of patterning. Um, so I, I again would say that explaining to people, having people understand what scoliosis is, how it progresses, and that there are things that you can do to halt progression. And, and in some cases, especially for younger people, may be able to minimize curvature, uh, but you can never guarantee that. You just can't know all the circumstances, but you can definitely balance muscle activity on sides of the curve. So uh, I would say it really depends on the person, but that would be the approach that I take. And I, I think most of us are also along that line. Yeah. Well, and I would imagine, Susan, you know, from viewing, viewing that setting from the outside, I would imagine that, you know, the older individuals that Gene or whoever works with that may be more on the degenerative side of things, they're in your doors to see you because of, as you mentioned, you know, over patterned behavior for so long that now they're at a point in life where they're just breaking down. Those individuals probably would, would, uh, would tell you that they wish they would have known about this type of activity, you know, 60, 70, 50 years ago to where, uh, you know, you're, you're working with the teenagers and the adolescents. And it really allows you guys as clinicians to see the full spectrum to see, you know, and, and it could be that, you know, you have one, you have one room where an adolescent teenager is being seen by, uh, you know, by Lisa or by Molly or whoever. And the next room over, you have some individual who is on the other spectrum of life. And all of a sudden you're, you're kind of, you know, sitting there wondering, you, you know, you can tell the adolescent, okay, here's what we can do to manage this. And here's maybe some of the outcomes if we don't. So it's, it's such a progressive thing that allows you guys to really re-educate them, like you said earlier. But um, that's just kind of a thought I had from the outside viewing in is, is I bet a lot of those older individuals wish that they would have started, um, you know, really taking, taking control of their patterning at a younger age. And, um, that, you know, that's, that's something that, we all can be doing as far as, as the pattern lives we live. And, and it's such a, another, another important gift of PRI is, is that re-educational piece and uh, re-patterning, so to speak, these, these daily activities we do. I would you know, say, I would say, RJ, that um, many of the older people are coming in because of pain and posture restoration techniques 
especially sagittal plane techniques, tend to be very helpful in eliminating or minimizing pain in older people. And uh, some of our older people have just done incredibly well. And um, so that's definitely a possibility. I think we, we try not to project to young people, you know, the worst case scenario. We don't want to scare anybody. Um, of, and we don't, you know, we don't make older people wish that they were younger and could do it all over again. Uh, we start with where the person is and um, and give them as much uh, empowerment to self-transform as possible. Yep. And again, it's, it's you know, we, we kind of have our scoliosis hat on here today, Susan, because of who you are and, and the clinic that's around you. But, you know, really the, the topic of scoliosis is no different, as I said earlier, than <laughs> integrate, than integrate sensory integration with every individual. Um, right. And I know you guys all know and appreciate that. I want to, uh, before we wrap up, Susan, talk a, a little bit about some of the things that, you know, have, have been of interest to you outside of the clinical setting over the years. And one of those is, you know, more recently, an effort that you put forth to write a chapter in, in a book uh, or in a publication that that is called Intech Open. Um, if you could kind of walk us through, you know, I, I feel like our listeners should by this point have a, a decent understanding of the setting that you're in and how you clinically treat scoliosis through through integrating PRI. But what um, you know, what what makes you really passionate about writing and educating and sharing that knowledge of PRI? Um, to other individuals. And, and again, this, this uh, reference that we're talking about now happens to be a chapter in a book that, that you were uh, primary author and co-authored with some of your colleagues. Um, if you don't mind, Susan, I'll read the title here, Postural Restoration, a Triplanar Asymmetrical Framework for Understanding, Assessing, and Treating Scoliosis and Other Spinal Dysfunction. So basically, um, to me, and I've read it several, we, we are so thrilled of the efforts that you guys put into this chapter, Susan. Um, it really, at the time, um, is so meaningful, uh, full, so meaningful for us. But if you could just quickly mention, you know, how this opportunity came about, how you guys kind of organized what you were, what you wanted to include, and some of the the thought processing that went into this article. And then um, I'll make sure to include kind of a, a link to, to that article for people to, to find it. But how did that come about, Susan? And, and how did you, I know you guys put a lot of effort into that chapter. And how did you guys kind of decide what, to, what was important enough to include versus what was kind of, you know, not gonna fit, so to speak. Um, and then as, as our listeners go and, and read it, they'll have a little bit of background to that chapter. Well, I got invited to write a chapter in this book because um, 
I joined the SOSORT organization. SOSORT is uh, the scientific organization of uh, doctors, physical therapists, and orthotists. It's an international organization, and they meet once a year. And it's devoted to the conservative treatment of scoliosis. Um, and it's really a, a, a research based organization. They do a lot of research and presentation of the research and stuff like that. And I joined that uh, organization, um, or I went to one of those one of those meetings that was in Germany, the first one I went to, and uh, actually had the opportunity to meet Krista Schroth, which was pretty amazing. Um, but it was, I think, at one of those conferences. So I went to several of those conferences over the years, and it was one. And I got to know some of the people who were uh, who were foundational in that organization. And one of the people, uh, Josette uh, Saltikoff, Bethany Saltikoff, um, I, I had many opportunities to talk with her, and I I was talking to her about postural restoration um, and expressing that I would really uh, like for postural restoration to be uh, to be more recognized in the scoliosis community because it, it's so foundational and has so much benefit for any other technique. Anyway, she was the one who invited me to write a chapter in this book that she was editing with one other uh, woman from uh, SOSORT. And we had, we all, it turned out, I don't know, we were, we must have been asked late, but we only had three months to pull this together. And it was, it was, um, it was a major intense effort, you know, driving to work and trying to figure it out and driving home and trying to figure it out. And every spare minute trying to put this thing together uh, it really pushed us maximally, pushed me maximally to put out what I could. But I felt it was really crucial to have what I called the framework of postural restoration there for people in the scoliosis community to start appreciating. So uh, it was a mammoth effort. <laughs> And I don't, I couldn't tell you how we, how I managed to figure out what, what to put. I had to think deeply and, you know, try and organize it in a way that was accessible at, to as many people as possible. And we well, did it. You did it. And you did it. You did a you did a fabulous job. And again, I'll I'll make sure to include the link to that uh, chapter uh, on this podcast. You know, I, I got the opportunity yesterday to Su Susan to just quickly, you know, scroll through that chapter once again. We have a hard copy here. We have a hard copy on the wall that reminds us of your guys's efforts um, back in our library, and. You know, I don't say it lightly that I know the level of effort that you all put into it. 
And I know also the level of appreciation that Ron and this institute have for that effort. It meant a lot, and, and it means a lot anytime that we see PRI recognized on a scholarly level. The coolest thing I personally think about that chapter, Susan, is that you did include the framework and that you did have the foundational level of PRI knowledge that you started off with in that chapter, because like you said, um, this was primarily meant for the scoliotic community that you were writing to. But from someone like me who reads this chapter and for the general population out there, you really could take the word scoliosis out of the title and learn just as much about the frameworks of PRI and, you know, in, th in this case, it happens to be centered around scoliosis and spinal dysfunction, but it's such an overarch uh, chapter of foundational concepts of PRI that I, I think, you know, you guys did such a tremendous job uh, including that. And I, I'm very appreciative of you kind of saying that earlier of, of how you wanted to include the framework because without it, um, you know, PRI is, is a great science, but without that framework of asymmetrical uh, respiration, uh, asymmetrical placement, asymmetrical demands, patterning, position, without that, everything is lost essentially. So it's very, you know, it's, it's such a well done uh, piece of material. We are, are so um, thrilled about it. And I, and I don't know, Susan, I didn't bring the date off the top of my head, but it was relatively recent. You know, I think, do you remember when that was published? Um, I think that maybe that was 2017. That's um, what I was going to say, maybe 2017, 2018, but it's relatively recent. And yeah. I can still remember you guys working on it. And I think, you know, Jen or Bob, someone, someone was, seems like it was always in contact with you to try to get you different, uh, you know, whether it be an image or material or to help, help guide you. But uh, what a cool piece of, piece of literature. And, and again, I hope everyone has the time to check it out. Beyond that, Susan, there's kind of one other uh, project that is in the recent uh, history of your involvement, so to speak, and, and really something that I think you are spending time on these days, you know, more currently, and that is the creation of the Strader Institute. And I know uh, you have a, a long history with Ron and, and people here at the Institute that helped you along, along the way kind of figure that thing out and how that was going to look in relation to, you know, your clinical uh, experience of integrating PRI with scoliosis and the realm of kind of educating others on that practice. Uh, as we've been talking about, you know, we have a, a basically a full day of it dedicated to curvatures during advanced integration. Um, but this institute seems to allow you guys to really take your clinical experience and practice of implementing PRI through, you know, curvature of the spine and, and scoliotic management 
and uh, share it with others. So if you don't mind mentioning, you know, just again, similar to kind of the article discussion we had, you know, what, what made you guys as a group of clinicians want to go down this avenue? Because again, it's not a light, it's not an easy undertaking. You know, we do it every year as an educational institute and educating others, putting material together, finding material, compiling stuff, throwing out old stuff, redoing it. Um, it's not easy and it takes time. And, and I know you guys put a lot of effort to it. So the Strader Institute, spinal triplanar rehabilitation for asymmetrical torsion with exercise and respiration. And um, what a title. And it, it, I don't know how you, I don't know how you guys, uh, I don't know if you started with Strader first or if you started with the, uh, the, uh, the meaning of straighter first, but I, I love it. I love the, the description of it and, and what it means. And if you don't mind just walking us through, you know, again, how it came about, what you guys are currently working on with this educational offering and, um, and where you see it going. So straighter, uh, Institute came about from, you know, our working together uh, in the clinic and share, we, we have scoliosis meetings. So uh, once a week, we get the, those of us who are specialized in scoliosis, and that was uh, Jean and myself, and then, and Lisa, certainly, and then Molly joined us. And now Heather is beginning to join us too. When, when we have been getting together and looking at scoliosis and trying to understand best ways, sharing activities, sharing experiences, sharing case studies, we, we started realizing that some of the people that were coming to us, many of the patients who came to us who had had, uh, who had worked with therapists, physical therapists previously were in, were in worse shape as a result of that, not better shape. And we started feeling like as we're going through this process of really um, focusing on scoliosis uh, as a, that, that we could begin to share some of the insights that we were having. We also felt as I did when uh, in writing that chapter, that, that, that it would, we wanted to introduce to the scoliosis community of therapists of people who treat others who have scoliosis, we wanted to make available postural restoration. We really feel like postural restoration should be an acknowledged uh, treatment modality for uh, scoliosis. And because there isn't a lot of, you know, technical research on it, that's been very hard to get uh, into that realm. So we, we decided that it would be very helpful if we would put on a course and share some of our insights and knowledge that we've been accumulating through um, this, the work that we've been doing with scoliosis over several years now, since I think since 2013 or 14 is when we started to really laser focus on uh, this, the population of people with scoliosis. And uh, I would say Jean and Lisa were, you know, they're both natural teachers. They just both have a real flair for teaching. Anyway, we, 
we uh, they 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 and the three of us started thinking about how do we do this and we all kind of are just putting our heads together and we actually put i think the course together before we had the idea of a straighter scoliosis institute and we decided to do that based i think we were looking at how the the Postural Restoration Institute de developed out of the Haruska Clinic. Um, so that was kind of like a model from my perspective of how we could see uh, having a, 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 an arm of our practice that could really be devoted to training other therapists in postural restoration considerations for the treatment of scoliosis. Yeah. I would say that's how that happened. Well, and, and I know, you know, as we wrap up, Susan, you know, we, we, um, there's so many opportunities and directions for PRI and postural restoration to be applied to. And that was one of the most exciting ones because of your involvement over the years through advanced integration, um, getting really scoliosis as a, a treatment approach when it, when it relates to PRI, uh, thanks to the three of you and all the colleagues around you, you know, I, I feel like, you know, PRI is, is very much applicable to that area because of, of you guys, because of your work, because of everything we've discussed today. It's really the reason why we have such a heartfelt appreciation for you and for your colleagues. So I really look forward to watching that grow into whatever it may be, you know, and I know because of who's behind it and, and the three of you that are evolving it, uh, it, it will be a good opportunity for clinicians to learn more about implementing PRI into uh, clinical uh, curvature management. Um, so Susan, I really uh, just want to thank you for your time today. There's probably a million different things that we didn't have the time to cover. And I really just want to kind of mention briefly to our listeners, um, you know, time is such a gift and we're all, we're all searching for more of it. But if you are interested, Susan, I hope you don't mind me telling this to our listeners. If our listeners are interested in, in learning more about, you know, curvatures in general or your history with PRI and applying it to curvatures, it's my understanding that you're one of the most lovely individuals that I know and that we know who can have that conversation with us and who are so open to just talking with individuals. So I know I've sent a number of people to, to advance physical therapy because of their interest in scoliosis and because mm -hmm. of your uh, clinics all of you, because of all of your knowledge in this area, um, you really are uh, our go-to for uh, treatment of, of curvatures of the spine, spinal deformities, and, and the full gamut. So again, please share my appreciation with your entire staff. Uh, we, we really consider you, you mentioned kind of an arm of your clinic being that, straighter being an arm of, of your clinical practice. In some regards, you all are an arm of our institute. Um, that that very much is you. You very much are all felt by us on a regular basis, and I think the PRI community as a whole 
very much appreciates having you and your clinical history and journey to look to for guidance. So I really cannot summarize it, Susan, quite as concisely as I would like to, the appreciation that we have for you. The final thing I wanna end with, Susan, that I wanna mention is um, as I reflected on you and your story and who you are, I was reminded that you are the first ever, very first ever recipient of the PRI Director's Dedication Award. And um, Susan, that plaque on the wall is uh, really symbolic of, of you and who you are, and your name will forever be on the very first uh, plaque on that, on that list. So that, that in itself is a summary of who you are, uh, our love and appreciation for you. And I think uh, if the PRI community doesn't know you by now, uh, I, I would like all of them to have that same appreciation and feel that same meaningful you know, relationship that we have. So thank you so much. I know there's, there's things we didn't cover. I hope to have you back on in the future, maybe once, once there's you know, some, some offerings with your Strader Institute. But thank you again for joining us today. You might just want to be sure that we, we let people know that we, we do, we are preparing the level one as a home study, and we hope to have that available later this year. And we're, we are hoping to also offer a level two for people who've done the level one uh, uh, sometime in late October, early November. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah, thank yes, you very thank much, you. RJ. That I really appreciate your interest, your care, and um, and I'm very touched by the wonderful things that you've said. And of course, we owe everything to Pastor Restoration and to Ron and to the faculty there. So thank you all. If you're interested in learning more about the Postural Restoration Institute, you can visit our website at posturalrestoration.com. You can also email me directly at info at posturalrestoration.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to see how PRI Nation is currently applying this science. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to having you on our next episode.